Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Everybody good? My name is Doug. I'm your discipleship director here, and I am uh, happy to be here to be able to share a little bit as we kick off this new series today. Wasn't the video cool with uh, the Burkholders reading there? Thank you guys for doing that. That was really neat. Uh, all the kids' expressions and nose picking. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and the death stare. I love uh, the, the death stare right into the camera. That was cool. Um, I, I, as I mentioned, today we actually mark the beginning of our Christmas series called Unboxed, Find the Joy, uh, and the season of Advent, Advent uh, when we actually remember and celebrate the arrival of Jesus. That's what Advent means. Instead of lighting Advent candles, as tr- uh, churches traditionally do, we're going to be lighting boxes. Okay, You can see we have one lit up for today, the Hope Box. Uh, the passages that the Burkholders read for us were from the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Micah. Uh, they lived around the same time period. It was a period of, in the nation of Israel of, of anxiety. It was a period of threats of invasion and they just uncertainty. It was uh, one of those time periods where you just didn't know what was going to happen. And all of this is going on around you and it leaves you to wonder what's going on. Where's God in all of this? Uh, where is he? God, do you even care? Anyway, these prophets and their words, they tried to paint a picture that God is with us no matter what we go through and that one day God is going to raise up a deliverer who will rescue us. That's a message of hope. No matter where you're at and what you're hearing, that is a message. God is on our side. He's going to deliver us from what we're going through. They needed to hear it, but so do we. We need to hear it in our day as well. Uh, And so when we light the hope box, our prayer is that we will begin to see how the promises of God help us to rekindle that joy that we might have lost. That's part of why we're doing this, okay? This is what our Christmas series is all about. How can we finally unbox the joy that Jesus' arrival brings? We're going to walk through joy shared joy personalized, joy proclaimed, and joy found in the coming weeks. But for today, I want us to focus our thoughts on the joy that is promised, joy promised to us. I feel like we need to kind of upgrade what our definition of joy really is, and I want us to find hope and satisfaction in God's promises of joy. Are you guys with me? Are you good? Okay. So last Sunday, our family made plans to spend the rest of the day together. It was a really cool day. Uh, That's kind of what I wanted for my birthday. My birthday was this past week, um, 29 again. Uh, Just putting that out there. Uh, And that's what I wanted. I wanted us to kind of hang out. And we had some things planned. Didn't share that with the kids. We did a little shopping. Cressa took us to a new restaurant in Hagerstown, the Pretzel and Pizza Creation. In fact, anybody been there? Good stuff. Yeah, really good, good deal. And then we went to a Tim Hawkins comedy show. Yeah. Anybody seen Tim Hawkins before? Okay. He is hilarious. I mean, we laughed until we cried and peed a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was great. It was so funny. Like everything he did was hilarious. Just little gestures and musical things that he wrote. Unbelievable. You guys have to check it out if you see it on YouTube or get a chance to go to a live comedy show. It's unbelievable. And so as we're going through this, the thought occurred to me, like, as I'm preparing for today, was that joy? Going through this comedy experience and laughing till we peed, (laughs) was that joy? 
I don't know. But I, is joy all about making people laugh and feel good? Is joy even a feeling at all? Well, for me, as I reflected on it, it was a moment of joy for us, but not exactly for the reason you might be thinking. It was because we shared a moment together as a family with the people that meant the most to me. Yes, we laughed and cried and peed and all that, but we were together, all right? Seeing the smiles and the laughter and with my wife and my kids and being all in the same place and experiencing that, that, I think, was the joy. Maybe not so much Tim, but us being that together and experiencing that was joyful for me. I don't know about you, but that was a joyful moment for me. I want to propose to you that joy, the joy that you and I are desperately searching for, are not mere moments of laughter and pleasure and happiness. Joy goes way beyond that. I think uh, our friend Matthew McConaughey described this in a speech that he was later converted into a YouTube motivational video. I don't know where it came from, but Matthew McConaughey says this. Check this out. Happiness is an emotional response to an outcome. If I win, I will be happy. If I don't, I won't. It is result-reliant. And I say, if happiness is what you're after, then you're going to be let down frequently, and you're going to be unhappy most of the time. Joy, though, joy is a different thing. It's something else. Joy is not a choice. It is not a response to some result. It's a constant. Joy is the feeling that we have from doing what we are fashioned to do, no matter the outcome. Do you get that? Joy is doing what we are fashioned to do, no matter the outcome. I think that's an important description. Thank you, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, this is actually fits within our framework, though. I want us to understand that from what we believe about joy, when we understand and read the scriptures, it fits. So what are we fashioned to do? From a Christian perspective, when we read through the Bible, we understand that we are fashioned after God's image. We read about this in the book of Genesis. It says, let us, God is talking, let us make man after our image. Why does he say it that way? Couldn't he just said, let me make man after my image? No, he says, let us. Who's he talking about? He's not talking about angels, because angels don't have the ability to create life. They're, in fact, created beings themselves. He's talking within himself. He's talking to the community and unity of the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, present at creation. And God is saying, let us make man after our own image. What's that mean? Here's, when you think about this, I think that God had such unity and love and oneness within the three persons of the Trinity that he wanted us to experience that as well. He wanted us to join in that oneness. In fact, you can read about this in John chapter 17. Jesus is talking. He's actually praying for all of those who would believe in him that haven't seen him. That means us. Jesus is praying for us. And what does he pray for? that we would be one with the Father as He is one with the Father. What? He, God wants us to experience oneness with Him. 
to have a close relationship with him. And thinking about it, back in Genesis, we had it. Adam and Eve had that oneness and closeness with God. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They were naked and felt no shame. Can you imagine that? I mean, like, it's not in front of a mirror, it's in front of God. And they had no shame. That's not, that's not where I'm feeling, okay? So that's exactly what they had. They had that oneness with God. And I imagine that there was extreme joy as well. Because they were doing what they were fashioned to do. To have a close, unique, loving relationship with God, their creator. Doing what they were fashioned to do. What happened? They messed it up. They messed it up big time because they chose to disobey God. That close relationship with him was severed. Trust was broken. Shame entered the picture. And this magnet of what we call sin draws each of us to want to do our own thing apart from God. i got to throw this out. In fact, we as a human race have been trying to live our lives apart from God ever since the beginning. We don't want Him involved in our lives. We want to live however we want. We don't want God in our picture, even though living however we want brings suffering and pain, and it causes us to feel like we have this huge hole in our lives that we just can't fill. We still continue to live that way. And what's the result? Joy seems far away. Joy just seems right out of reach from what we can grasp at. It's a mystery to all of us. Yes, we have our happy moments, of course, but just not the constant underlying joy because we are not doing what we were fashioned to do, to have that relationship with God. Well, from that point forward in Genesis, the Bible is actually sharing the story of how God continues to work with us to restore that right relationship with his people. His people over and over again, they fail, and sometimes just, just miserably. Like, you guys are knuckleheads. Why just, you can't understand how to live this way? They messed it up all the time. And uh, God develops a, a nation of people who worship the one true God, Israel. But because of the sinful nature that we all deal with, they were still powerless to live the way that God wanted them to live. Their religion, their system for dealing with sin, it became meaningless and lifeless. Just another hoop to jump through. And it, they lost what gave the whole thing meaning. What's that? Having a relationship with God. They lost sight of that, and it just became rules and religion and another hoop to jump through. Does that make sense? The system was broken. It was a good system, but we as humans messed that up too. We took the heart out behind it all. So God had to make another way to get through our hardened hearts. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God began to give his people glimpses of how he was going to intervene once and for all. He was going to clean up this mess that we made. He gave us promises of a day when God would deliver us from sin and death. He would liberate us from whatever's holding us captive. And he would restore the loving relationship with him that we wanted. The problem is, and you guys know this, we don't believe in promises anymore, do we? 
I mean, when someone makes a promise to you, what's your first thought? Yeah, right. For me, I'm thinking, I'm skeptical. Like, I'll believe it when I see it. Are you with me? Right. Someone makes a promise to you. How do we know this from our culture today? Think about politicians. <laughs> They're making promises, aren't they? Very few of them deliver on the promises they make, especially when they're campaigning, right? Very few. What about uh, relationships from our past? Any uh, middle school sweethearts in the crowd? Anyone? Middle school? No? Those relationships we said, I'll be with you forever. Really? (laughs) Really? Promises broken, right? How about uh, advertisements trying to sell us something that we don't need, right? If you would just buy this, and all the guys are saying, I want that new truck for Christmas. Come on, guys. Anybody? If, if That's what I'm hearing, okay? They advertise, if you just had this truck, you are, your life would be fulfilled and have meaning and purpose. You would reach the pinnacle of what it means to be a man. I don't know. I'm just making that up right now. But it seldom delivers on the promises that we hear in our advertising. We know this from our culture. All these promises going on. And so my question for us this morning is, how can we as humans take a step toward joy when all we see are broken promises all around us? It's everywhere. First of all, just to give you a brief insight into this, we have to understand when we think about God, He's different vastly different than than the promises that we make when he gives us promises don't carry over that disappointment or skepticism from the promises we make to each other don't carry that over to god because he when he makes promises it's completely different why how do we know that because of what god's word says god's word has some things to say about the promises that god makes let's check this out psalm 145 says this your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises and faithful in all that he does. The Lord is trustworthy. He, he doesn't break promises. How about Hebrews 6 when he says this? When God made his promise to Abraham, what was that? He promised Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. Your descendants are going to be like the sand on the, sh- on the seashore, Abraham. Did it come true? Yeah. It did. Because Abraham is the father of faith. Uh, God was forming a people who would worship him. And we are descendants of that if we believe. Okay? When God made a promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. We swear by ourselves all the time. I swear I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it seldom happens, doesn't it? God swears by himself because there's no one greater than him. Can't imagine that. Or how about this? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Everybody say yes. yes. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us. To the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Here's what it does. Guaranteeing what is to come. All those promises, they're confirmed. 
with the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Because of what Jesus has done, whatever God has promised is fulfilled through Him. Jesus is the one who makes it happen. When you and I doubt, we look at Jesus and we remember the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And it affirms what God is promising. When God promises, the Holy Spirit says, it's going to happen. You might not see it in your time. You might not see it in your way, the way you want it to happen, but it's going to happen. God's going to make it happen. The Holy Spirit inside of us confirms that inside of us. It's different than what our promises we make to each other here, isn't it? It's vastly different. So, what does unboxing joy in God's promises look like? I mean, how do we actually do that? How do we unbox joy in God's promises? A couple of simple thoughts if you're taking notes. Here's what I think. First of all, we've got to know it. What are those promises of God that He gives to us in His Word and through His Spirit? We've got to know it. We have to learn what those promises are and remember those promises frequently. Why? Because we forget. Because life happens and we forget that ultimate perspective of knowing God and having Him involved in our lives. We need reminded often of the promises that He's making to us. Let's just consider those promises that uh, the Burkholders read for us, the key passages for today that talk about a promised Messiah, a promised deliverer. That deliverer in Isaiah chapter 9, check this out, Jesus will come as a child. We might not think of that as a big thing, but it is. He's gonna, God of the universe is going to come to this earth as a child. What's that mean to us? He's going to be like us. The God of the universe is going to enter the same way we did. Small, vulnerable. He's going to relate to us. He's going to come in a a humble fashion. It's not easy being a kid, especially back when Jesus was born. You're lucky if you made it to your 12th birthday, right? God was going to come as a child. What else does it say to us? That Jesus holds the government on his shoulders. That's a big thing, right? Well, aren't you glad that he does that? Because we know government can be corrupt, can it? Like, that's just the way governments happen. When people are in charge, there's an ounce of corruption and it just spreads. That's what happens to government. Isn't it good to know that God is aware and is in control no matter whatever government is in power at the time? God is in control, ultimately. What else does this passage say to us? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That about covers it all, doesn't it? There's a lot going on there. We have a God that will guide us. We have a God that's going to comfort us. We have a God that's going to leave us in wonder. He is strong. He is mighty. He is a father, unlike the fathers we have here. He is a ruler whose agenda, his one agenda, is peace. Not only in our world, but in us. The Prince of Peace. He's coming to bring his rule and his reign, which is peace, into our lives. I'm happy for that. He is going to rule beyond any earthly government. He's going to be in control forever. Not just for a specific term or a period of time like our governments are. That's a, that's a lot of promise in that one verse, a couple verses there. How about Isaiah 53? This is a, a powerful verse. 
It is a powerful promise about Jesus given hundreds of years way before Jesus was ever unseen. And this is a, a, a promise that he is going to suffer in our place. We deserved it. He didn't. And yet he took the punishment that we deserved. It should have been ours. It's because of his sacrifice, according to this promise, that we are free. And here's the thing. The Jews who lived in that day, in the time of Isaiah, they didn't get it. They thought the deliverer was going to come as this mighty conquering warrior king person. He's going to ride in and just liberate us from our captors. They didn't get it. I mean, it's right there. They, did, they forgot about this prediction as well, that he's also going to be a suffering servant. Right? So much so that when Jesus came, <laughs> you didn't come the way that we expected you, Jesus. So what did they tell him? The crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him. You're not the, you didn't come the way we expected, Jesus. So away with you. Be done with you. Isaiah 53 paints that picture that he's going to sacrifice for us. Powerful promise. And how about Micah chapter 5? This is an interesting verse. God chose a small town, Bethlehem, from where this deliverer would come. Now, there's something about that that just gives me hope. I don't know about you. Because it tells me that God takes value in the small things. God takes value in the overlooked places. You might feel like no one notices today, but God does. He's going to send a, a deliverer from a no place, a place that no one really knows about. That's where he's going to come from. I, I think that brings incredible hope to me, that God sees me no matter where I'm at. In, even in the small places where no one is aware, God can meet you there. In fact, God is going to come from there. That's a powerful promise. And here's the thing. These are only three passages with promises. Just three passages. Do you realize that some people have uh, examined the scriptures and have decided there's anywhere from 3,500 to 7,500 promises in scripture? Wow. Somewhere in between there, let's say there's 5,000. 5,000 promises from God in scripture. That's pretty powerful. That's over 13 years of promises. If you only took one promise a day and tried to receive that and live by that each day. Wow. One promise a day that would last you 13 years to get through all the promises in God's word. Isn't that powerful? That's a lot. There's a lot of promises in God's word. The question is, do you know it? How many of those 5,000 promises of God do you know? Do you live in your life? I know I'm ashamed by the number. But what I do know, it brings me incredible joy and hope. Okay? Once you know it, know the promises of God, then what do you do? I think you have to hold on to it. You have to hold on to God's promises. Remember, we forget. And life happens. We need something like an anchor that we sang about that we can hold on to. God's promises can be that for us. I think we need to hold on to God's promises tightly and other promises loosely. God's promises are the ones that will get us through. We have to believe that God's promises deserve our full trust and our confidence. I have to come back to an incredible experience that I had about a year or so ago. 
anybody read any Michael Hyatt's books? Uh, no? Okay. I'll, I'll save you. He's also going to throw you a pitch at the end to buy more of his resources. Anyway, <laughs> his one book called The Best Year Ever, which is kind of a promise in of itself. I'm not going to tell you whether it happened or not. But anyway, uh, in the one section, he had a reflection where we had to recall our limiting beliefs. Our limiting beliefs. The stuff that keeps me from moving forward. The stuff that other people have said to me or said about me. Or maybe uh, the stuff that I think about myself and my life myself. That limiting belief stuff that all of us have going on. Stuff like, I'm not wanted. Stuff like, I, I, I don't have what it takes. I'm a failure. I don't have any friends. God isn't with me. God, isn't, God is not pleased with me. And so on and so on and so on. Well, all together um, in my journal, there's about a, a whole page worth of limiting beliefs that I captured. That was the first part of this exercise. Yes, I deal with that stuff too. Limiting beliefs, okay? Then, once I got through that experience, I had to process what God's Word says about the liberating truth. What's the liberating truth for each of those limiting beliefs that I believed, okay? It was a powerful experience for me. Think about this. The thought that no one wants me, nobody wants to hang around me, what does God's Word say? In John 15, Jesus says this, I didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you. That's powerful. Jesus chose me when no one... Yes, my God is the one who chooses me. He wants me. He wants me to be involved with Him. He wants to be intimately involved with me. That spoke powerfully to me. What about this idea that I don't have what it takes or I'm a failure? What does God's Word say in, in Romans chapter 8? We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who gives us strength, who one who loves us. We are more than conquerors. We can get through that. What about this idea that I have no friends and nobody really wants to hang out with me? Proverbs 18 says, there is a friend. <laughs> there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Other people may not want to be around you, or you might have not a, company, a crowd of people around you but there is a God who wants to be closer than a brother or a sister to you, okay? That's God's promise to us. And what about this idea of God isn't pleased with me? He doesn't like me. He doesn't, he's so disappointed with me. Psalm 147 says, The Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in His unfailing love. Do you trust God? He delights in you. He loves you. He is proud of you. He is not ashamed to be with you today. He's not disappointed in you. His love goes way beyond that. Or how about Galatians 4? It says this, that we are no longer a slave, but God's child. We are God's child. That's an incredible promise to us. Because as a father, I, I, and we have kids that make bad choices all the time. Sorry, kids, if you're here. <laughs> But here's the thing, as a father, that's not going to change their status. You're still my kid. I still love you. I'm going to be with you, and I'm sticking with you. We are God's children. That's an incredible promise that we take for granted all the time. This was a, a powerful exercise, exercise for me. And honestly, I have to keep coming back to this. 
I have to review this list over and over again. Why? The doubts creep in because I have low spots. I have to hold on to the liberating truth in His promises to me. How about you? Are you holding on to it? Once you know God's promises, are you holding on to it with everything that you've got? Know it, hold on to it, and then finally, I think you need to share it. Why do I say that? Because I believe speaking about God's goodness and His faithfulness reinforces our faith and it also inspires someone else to have faith in God too. It's a double-edged sword. Here's some things. Some of you might know that I'm kind of one of those that struggle in the fall and the winter, when you feel the cold kind of setting in, right? I'm one of those guys that just, I, I feel it sometimes. The, the sadness, the, the low, the darkness, whatever you want to call it. Last year in particular was a tough season for me, for whatever reason. I felt it actually creeping in, okay? Putting on a jacket or a vest. It just felt like I was wearing this. I don't know if you've felt that way before. This year, I decided I was going try to try to deal with that before it gets here. So I started meeting with a counselor, which, which was awesome. I highly recommend it. Um, although he didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. I was like, hey, can we fix this? He's like, no. <laughs> so we may not be able to fix it, but we can help you to learn some strategies to get through it, which was powerful for me. And one of those was to share about God's goodness to share about God's promises and faithfulness to me. So how's God been faithful to me recently? Just want to share this with you because he told me to. Anyway, this is actually going to be one of the first holiday seasons without my grandma, both of them, because both of them passed away in the last month, one in October and one at the beginning of November. It was a tough season. That whole generation is now gone, okay? Some of you understand the loss, and this is the time of the year when we feel it, right? Not only that, I had to speak at both of their funerals. Incredibly tough to be able to do that. I don't know if you've had to do that or not. Uh, Back at October when my first grandma passed away, uh, just to let you in on the week that I experienced, grandma passed on Sunday. Uh, We had her viewing and funeral Wednesday and Thursday, uh, we settled on my, our new house on Friday, moved in on Saturday, and I had to preach on Sunday in Shippensburg. I wouldn't wish that week on anyone. It was a tough, tough week. But God was faithful. There's no way I'm making it through that week without God. And I'm here to tell you, I got to share it because God did something for me that I couldn't do for myself. God delivered me. God's promise to me was, I got your back. You can do this. And he was faithful, okay? I share that with you because it reinforces my faith, but it also might inspire some of you that are saying, how could God be there for me? If he's there for me, he can be there for you. I promise you. But don't take my promise. Take his, okay? Here's what the promise was for me. It's still true. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You are with me. It's one of the most powerful promises of God that I know. You got to know it. 
you got to hold on to it. And you got to share it. You have to share it to be able to unbox the joy in God's promises. I like C.S. Lewis. Very deep writings, very theological. He's an author, theologian, former atheist turned Christian apologist. In his book about his early years, which was interestingly called Surprised by Joy, he says this about joy. Here's what he says. It was valuable, joy was valuable, only as a pointer to something other and outer. While that other was in doubt, this was kind of the period of his life where he doubted about God's existence, the pointer, joy, naturally loomed large in my thoughts. When we're lost in the woods, the sight of a signpost is a great matter. He who first sees it cries, look! And the whole party gathers around and stares. But when we have found the road and are passing signposts every few miles, what do we do? We shall not stop and stare. Very deep. You've got to chew on that quote. Before we have a relationship with God, it can feel like we are lost in the woods. Therefore, whenever we encounter a sign, it's a pretty big deal. Joy is like that. Before God is in our lives, Joy is a big deal. We live our lives from moment to moment to moment trying to seek that joy that we have or that we're missing. But after walking with God and getting on His road, those signs, they become less of a big deal because we know that there's a greater destination. Knowing God and spending eternity with Him. That's the big joy That's where we're headed. And so these moments that we see in this life that lead to joy, they're just signposts pointing the way. This will shift your perspective, perspective, everybody. Joy is not the final goal or destination for any of us. As Lewis discovered, joy is just the road sign that points to the greatest destination of all, resting in a relationship with God. That's where the joy can be found. If you pursue joy as the destination, you're never really going to arrive. It's always going to be just out of reach. But if you pursue a relationship with God, joy will find you along the way. That's powerful for me. Because here's the thing. We will be doing what we are fashioned to do. Having that relationship with God, a friendship with God, just like how we were designed to be from the beginning of time. When we walk in that, when we function in that, that's where joy comes from. Knowing, holding on to, sharing God's promises to you is essential to build the trust in your relationship with God and to unbox more and more joy in your life. So my question for you today, where is your hope this morning? We light the hope box. Where's your hope? Are you pursuing joy or are you pursuing God? There's a huge difference. To close today, I encourage you, I want you to, to, to sing along with this song. It talks about the promises of God. I want you to use this time to realign your purpose 
with pursuing a friendship with God, trusting in his promises. I want you to make these words into prayers that you send to God, that you communicate directly to him. Let's pray together. God, I'm praying for all of us here that you would help us to unbox the joy in our lives. It gets put away all the time under our busyness and the burdens that we face and life in general just buries the joy. God, would you help us to let go of lesser pursuits, including the pursuit of joy or happiness, and seek to pursue you instead. God, as we pursue you, as we believe the promises that you've given to us, God, would your joy find us where we are, find us in this journey that we find ourselves in. Meet us here. Be our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.